real uh, real car guy, and he took the motor out of it and put it in some crazy like cart dune buggy thing that he custom made, and, like welded together, and it's pretty is it a, sweet. Is it more like a dune buggy or like a sand rail? I'm not sure what a sand rail is. Uh, tends to look longer, uh, so it's got a longer frame, and uh, you use them for driving on sand. <laughs> I think I think he's making this up. <laughs> no, I'm not. Saw it on an episode of Pawn Stars once. Oh, okay. oh, Pawn yeah. Stars are the the spinoff show Counting Cars. Is that what it was called? Ice Road Pawn Stars. <laughs> Ice Road Dune Buggies. Our Ice Road Pawn Star Aliens. <laughs> How do you think the ancient aliens got around Egypt? Sand rails. Ice Road Truckers. <laughs> Well, hello. Hey. Hello. Hello. Welcome to another edition of the Gobeski Wallace Report. My name is Adam Gobeski. And my name is Charlie Wallace. And today we have two very special guests with us. We have Paul Wilcox and Doug Gobeski. Welcome to the show. Great to be here. And fabulous to be here as well. Ooh. Well, one person thinks it's great. The other person thinks it's fabulous. I'm a real one-up. Well, <laughs> well, he got introduced first, despite coming later in the alphabet. So I... He knows who's favorite. His middle name comes before yours. <laughs> I forgot to prompt you to introduce yourselves. I'm sorry. Chalk this one up to my fault. <laughs> Always do. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are going to talk about the 2017 flavor of Doritos, Pop and Jalapeno. Ooh. Mm. I'm glad I prepared by Thanks doing something there. completely different. <laughs> <laughs> I'm opening so the bag, and uh, I'm making a lot of noise so that Charlie stops cutting out all the dramatic pauses. <laughs> now I'm having trouble opening the bag. It's too much air. Another, another episode car yeah. I can't listen to. Oh, Sounds very okay. taut. Well, now it's... I've, I've just given it release. Ah. Uh. So. <laughs> Appears to be a Dorito. <laughs> Let those Doritos breathe. <laughs> mm, smell the bouquet. Sticky nose right in the bag. <laughs> Just breathe deep. <laughs> that always makes it more appetizing, smelling the Dorito bag. Why don't they make Doritos scented cologne? <laughs> there was a Burger King cologne once. <laughs> smell oh, like yeah. a fresh grilled Whopper? I think so. It was called Flame or something. Yeah. That was that was a trivia question uh, one time. I know that's the only reason I know this. <laughs> but uh, so it's uh, it's got green dots and like an orange dusting to it. it smells kind of spicy. And uh, it tastes like a corn chip. Are you sure? Did this not? Uh, did this pass QA and it shouldn't have? Did they forget to put flavoring on it? They put the toasted corn flavor right in, right in the jalapeno <laughs> bag. Oh no! They put the unflavored sparkles on it. Those little <laughs> green dots are just sawdust. <laughs> They've been revealed for the fraud that they are. <laughs> no, yeah, this could have been an emperor's new clothes sort of thing, where Adam's just the first one brave enough to say the Doritos have no flavor whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a very faint hint of spice and a very faint hint of like nacho cheese. Wait, not cream cheese? Mm, uh, it tastes more just like a nacho cheese Dorito that someone's put a bit of spice on. Hmm. Oh, because with the name like Pop and Jalapeno I just assumed they were supposed to be Jalapeno Poppers. That makes sense, but yeah, very very mild. I, I was expecting more, honestly. Hmm. Given Can you enlist Brienne? Maybe you have a cold. Doug doesn't believe uh, you. <laughs> All right, hold on. I don't on. think Frito Lay would let us down like this. Hold on. I know. I, I had really high hopes for this flavor <laughs> since I heard about it today. <laughs> okay, so you can't hear them, but they don't believe me when I'm describing the flavor of this chip. So will you try one or two and tell them? Do you want it too? Well, eat it first. Okay. She's definitely eating it. That's that's feminine crunching, not like Adams. She's going for a second one. She she's not convinced. Much how I was not convinced. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm biasing. 
Yeah, jeez. <laughs> Go find a neighbor, someone you haven't biased. He's currently <laughs> licking the chip. <laughs> That's part of the process. <laughs> I guess it's jalapeno, but it doesn't really, it's not really a strong jalapeno. It is spicy. But I taste more of the corn chip than I do of the jalapeno. Oh, wow. Wow. Ooh. Wow. They're, they're and reacting I, I don't... to the fact that you agreed with me without knowing what I said. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you've, you've vindicated me in the face of Doug, so yeah. thank you. There was <laughs> no biasing with the specific I had no phrase idea. corn chip. Me. <laughs> we heard him open the bag live on the air. <laughs> so we know that he didn't, like, collude previously. That's true. You find one of those like extra heavy spiced ones in there? I've been looking. <laughs> I, mean, I found though it's like a little heavier, but it still wasn't much. You Here's can't find one of those ones where it's like where it would be too much if there was yeah. a if it was you know spicy nacho or something. Yeah, I mean, given what spicy nacho and fiery habanero and flamas taste like, I think I was expecting a lot more, or even just what like a jalapeno. Cape Cod chip tastes like, and this this doesn't doesn't uh, match up. So I guess it's a jalapeno flavored crunchy Cheetos. Have they even made yeah. fiery habanero in years? Uh, maybe not, but I feel like it's like been a decade at least. Whatever, I the pain is still burned into my psyche. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that was our edition of Chip and Free Charlie. <laughs> Just, just a Great subtle podcast, difference than guys. our usual uh, segment. <laughs> eating, eating chips for Charlie's benefit. I, I did benefit me. I know not. Well, yeah, I would say not get this one. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you want a very slightly spicy nacho cheese, I guess since hmm. since nacho cheese is like the worst of the Doritos. I'm told that in Mexico they don't even have nacho cheese because it's so bland. Yeah, it's just like. Ugh. It is. It is pretty plain. I pretty much just spicy nacho. It's like I could be eating Cool Ranch as the default. Why is nacho cheese the default? Are there people for who <laughs> Cool Ranch is too intense? Well, uh, you know, maybe you just get sick of ranch. I mean, Americans drink more ranch than water, so at some point you're just gonna want like a nice, pleasant, spicy nacho. You know, I question that statistic. That people would want a nice spicy nacho. Uh, the people are are consuming so much ranch because I don't consume ranch. American. Ranch doesn't consume ranch on right. average. American. So that means drinking more, <laughs> literally drinking more ranch than water. Right. There has to be in order to make up the difference. There have to be people just carrying around big gulps of ranch that they're sucking on all day, every day. Oh God! It's like, oh, I better get the extra wide straw to deal with the thickness. <laughs> get those bu- the bubble tea straw. Yeah. Helps that way, uh, helps deals for with any the curds. Yeah. <laughs> the American waistline has expanded in the last thirty years quite a bit. I would like to hear a better explanation. Come on. Yeah, ranch is the only explanation. Yeah, people secretly consuming ranch, unbeknownst to us. <laughs> just straight. Just at home. Oh. It's not something well, you can do in public. Confirmation bias. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much a home. <laughs> uh, Everyone has it. their closet, like, ranch dispenser. Like, it's <laughs> the size of a closet at the perfect temperature. Can't wait to kick back, put on Sports Center, and pour myself a nice tall glass of ranch. <laughs> Just comes in gigantic bags like boxed wine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like Canadian milk. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I just want them to have it at 7-Eleven in the Slurpee tumbler. Fill the whole dome of the cup with with that ranch icy. See, now I'm picturing like a, like a Dairy Queen blizzard with ranch, and then it's got Cool Ranch chips as like the mix-in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, you go, to, you go to Britain, and you buy a bag of Cool Ranch, and it's not called Cool Ranch. It's called Cool American. Why do you think that is? Come on. <laughs> is that true? I'm going to need a fact check on that. <laughs> Go fact check that one. Why don't you just read it to us? Read uh, your link. Then we don't have to hunt it down when we do the blog post. I, I, I think this episode just turned into fact checking okay, Doug. Google. 
actual <laughs> American Doritos. I'm looking at a bunch of Google images. They don't look Photoshop. Well, that's the sign of a good Photoshop. <laughs> cool Ranch Doritos are called Cool American in Europe. Realist. I've seen a post on Reddit from Mildly Interesting that they're called that in Holland. Well, what's prequel memes say about it? Prequel memes, uh, that would probably be our ranch Doritos called Cool American in some parts of Europe, and that would be flash to the picture of young Boba Fett, and he says, yep. (laughs) 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 It's probably the most widely applicable (laughs) of the prequel memes is the yep meme. It came at a real special time in the evolution of prequel memes. Fuck. I'm just saying, my assertion checked out on that one. So clearly you know that I'm trustworthy, and you don't need to fact check anything else I've said. Well, Ranch is a, an American creation. Oh, apparently Hidden Valley Ranch. Ranch is named after Hidden Valley Ranch. Oh. What? Yeah. How, how did you, how do you not know this? What? No one knows this. Are you Canadian? Uh I wish in this current universe. <laughs> so this is the ninth installment of our Mary Marvel movie March. And we were reviewing the 2000 movie X-Men. Yes. Our first foray into the two thousands, a year that is, was almost 20 years ago. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> is that more or less disturbing than thinking about a big gulp full of ranch? I think it's, <laughs> it's right up there. <laughs> I'm just surprised that it wasn't a thing by now. When I thought about the promise of 2000, <laughs> I thought by, by 2017, we're going to have ranch big gulps. <laughs> ranch flying movies. cars, 19 Jaws movies. So you're going to lead us into this, Charlie? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess for me, it was surprising what a step up this movie was from Blade. I mean, we talked about Blade, and I think we all enjoyed it, but I guess if you want to say, you want to talk about a transition from the old style of Marvel movies to the new style, this kind of felt like it for me. There's still some things missing that we see in Marvel movies coming up, but I mean, just from a production standpoint, even. It, yeah. It felt very transitional, yes. Wait, what do you mean by that? Well, things like when he's on the uh, the motorcycle... And he flips the switch, and we get the the sped up footage, and his and you know the crazy face getting blown back. Come on, you're not gonna see that in a modern film. That didn't happen in Batman versus Superman. It might have. Be sure. Is funny? <laughs> yeah. It, it yeah. Your guess is as good as that movie. <laughs> Tried not to. But yeah, actually, that scene specifically, I remember being like, okay, this is a sign. This was made in the year 2000. So you're saying it looks it looks dated specifically to 2000 then? Yeah, kind of. A little bit. Wait, he's not talking simply about that scene? Oh, well, kind of. Yeah, I, was, I started just thinking about that scene, but there's other things that are kind of 2000-y. Like the existence of the uh, World Trade Center and their little diagram? Yeah. 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 That's in there. Last Marvel movie in which that's true. Although I get, this might come up again for Spider-Man because of the trailers. But yeah, uh, apparently the uh, X-Men movie uh, was in pre-production for a very long time. According to Wikipedia, like as early as 1984, they were trying to do some sort of X-Men thing. And uh, I guess James Cameron was interested at one point. Well, I think he was going to produce it. And Catherine Bigelow, his wife and the director of things such as Point Break and the Hurt Locker. Is that what she won the Academy Award for? Yeah, Hurt Locker. Yeah. Yeah, uh, she was apparently going to direct, but hmm. I guess James Cameron got tempted by Spider-Man instead, and so basically nothing came of the X-Men part, and I'm basically getting this from Wikipedia and the documentary I watched ahead of time on one of the DVDs. I think we can all be glad that uh, Brian Singer ended up with this Well, so James Cameron. Whoa. So interesting thing, speaking of Brian Singer, is... Um, so 20th Century Fox picks up the rights at some point, and they're slowly developing it. And Brian Singer is, becomes a hot director off The Usual Suspects, which is 90, yeah, 95. And so 20th Century Fox is interested in getting him to direct something bigger budget. So they actually initially tried to tempt him with Alien Resurrection. Hmm. Like they apparently sent, 
They apparently sent him the script for <laughs> Alien 4. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, one of the producers on X-Men thought he would be a good fit for this movie. And so more or less talked, I think it's one of the studio people, into saying, like, have Brian Singer do X-Men. And apparently Brian Singer uh, was not a big comic book fan, but he thought the characters were interesting once he was introduced to it. And so because it said his initial reaction was that a comic book movie, I don't want to do that. But then he got more in like into the characters and stuff. And I think that's actually one of the reasons this feels transitional, because I think this is the first comic book movie in a really long time, relatively speaking, that actually seems to believe in its characters. This is more a movie that has superheroes in it rather than a superhero movie where there's certain like wackiness on display and there's a certain style of acting, you know, like the sort of things we saw in Captain America and the the 1991 and Howard the Duck and stuff. Uh, And then, you know, on the other side too, right? Like the Batman movies at this point are either like weird Tim Burton things or like weird, like very jokey, the later ones. The Superman movies after like Superman one even like get pretty like jokey and Mm non-serious. So I think that's part of the reason this seems transitional is because this is a movie that actually believes in its characters and wants to ground them Mm -hmm. somewhat rather than just be like, oh, superheroes, let's just do weird, crazy things because that's what people want. Probably with a lot of the character relationships, too, it didn't feel like they were they felt kind of original, especially between Wolverine and Rogue. I was kind of surprised by that. I had forgotten how much there was a connection between those two characters. When uh, So ha- everyone saw this movie uh, before, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, what, when was the last time you had seen this movie? Do you guys remember? Like, had it been since theaters? Like, I think I, I know I saw it in theaters, possibly with, I want to say, like, Charlie and John and maybe Alex. I'm, well, actually, I'm sure it must have been. But I don't think I had seen it. I'd maybe seen some of the action sequences on TV, but I'd never sat down and watched the entire thing. Since then. Since 2000. Correct. Okay. Uh, not really sure for me. Probably like 2003 or something. Yeah, I think I, I think I probably saw it in the theater. And then since then, yeah, I doubt that I sat down with like lots of, you know, 100% undivided attention between then and now. So then I guess essentially it sounds like most of us were kind of coming to it with semi-fresh eyes. There were certain, certain things that were etched in my mind, like... Uh, all the scenes with Toad for some reason. <laughs> I remember those like, oh yeah, that guy. Because I couldn't actually remember which movie he was in. I was like, I guess it was the first one. <laughs> uh, I don't know about you guys, but I certainly have the uh, terrible line from that. Huge props to Halle Berry for delivering that line <laughs> as a true professional. But that said, not even Halle Berry could make that line sound good where she says something like, you know what happens to a toad when he gets hit by lightning? Same thing that happens to everything else. It's just like, <laughs> and, uh, I can't believe that made it through the script editing process. One of the uh, things about this, the fact that this had such a long production is a lot of people took a pass at the script. And one of the people who took a pass at the script was actually Joss Whedon. And that is apparently one of the like two or three lines of his version that survived to the final cut <laughs> was that line uh, they should have cut more of his contributions then <laughs> but they uh, just didn't cut the right ones but yeah. also he he was also the person who wrote the hey it's me prove it you're a dick sequence <laughs> so, uh, pretty yeah. good. so he got like the best lines in the movie and the worst line in the movie <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah side note just that beforehand i was just doing a bit of research and yeah interviews from around this time with joss whedon he's a very like bitter person when it comes to movies Uh really the impression he gets is so he was just constantly jerked around because i guess he was um sort of called in just to do a lot of script doctoring and like uncredited on stuff and uh joss whedon obviously has a very distinctive style and his contention was basically unless you're joss whedon you won't be able to deliver these lines properly because I have, you know, he, he writes in a very particular, uh, oh idiom. my so, gosh. So listening to him talk about weird things, like how the first Buffy movie went, how alien, his script for alien resurrection went is like entertaining, but also you just get the sense of like, 
Yeah, he was not happy with movies and <laughs> like his only outlet, I think, at that point for any of this stuff was like the TV version of Buffy, which I think was still going in 2000. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. It would have been season four or five at that point. So uh, I just had a I just had a possible insight. The scene in the helicopter where Rebecca Roman Stamos kicks around the, the senator guy with her feet. Mm-hmm. Is that a Joss Whedon contribution? Because it certainly fits with the Joss Whedon style. I don't know. The only two things I could find distinctive were uh, the you're a dick thing and the toad. And he basically said that the you're a dick sequence was the only one of his. He only had two or three lines that made it through. That was the only one that was delivered properly. Oh, <laughs> oh so he's blaming the actors and the director, huh? Yeah, like I said, at this point in his career, he seems very <laughs> bitter about this stuff. Although there is one moment, just to digress, where he's talking about the script for Alien 4. And yeah. he's sitting in the editing room with the director and the editor. And there's one moment where one of the characters has to go into a room to get a gun, knowing the alien's in there and the alien kills the person. And he said, basically, he had written this thing because they the director had shot the thing like he'd like, Oh, we need to, we're going to make up this new scene. He's like, all right, fine. I'll write you up something. And he kept asking during the editing process, why is this scene here? Why is this person going for the gun? At which point the editor said, because it's in the script. (laughs) 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 And apparently Joss Whedon just got, was so angry. He literally went out into the hallway and like punched a hole in a wall. (laughs) (laughs) So the person who gets screenplay credit in IMDb is David Hayter, which kind of surprised yes. me. So he's the voice of that? he's the voice of Solid Snake. Yes. So he's he a very prolific oh. voice actor. So I huh. didn't realize he did screenplays, but I mean, again, we were talking about how many people may have started out writing this, but I, I seem to recall reading an interview with him uh, in like Game Informer talking about Solid Snake, where he did mention about like writing X Men and. I think he writes the sequel too. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah. I think I seem to recall reading that the writing credits for X Men actually had to go to Writers Guild arbitration because so many people had worked on it. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> so, it's, so that's why Joss Whedon doesn't have a credit despite having worked on it because hardly anything that he wrote survived to the end. But yeah, so uh, Brian Singer took the material seriously, which was nice. And then partly him, and then I assume partly the producers and stuff. Uh, the casting choices I thought were really well done to get people of the caliber of Sir Ian McKellen and Sir Patrick Stewart. I'm not sure either of them are sirs at this point, but just as to play your two opposite poles. Sir versus sir. So does that mean that uh, at that point they were fortunate that they didn't have to pay them a surcharge? (laughs) I don't know how to react to that. (laughs) How do I I mute people on Skype? (laughs) I can hang up on him. Well played. (laughs) Props must be given. (laughs) And uh, of course, Academy Award winner, Anna Paquin. What does she win for? Does she win for? The piano. Oh, okay. She's the second youngest Oscar winner, I think. Oh, wow. Best supporting actress for the piano. Oh. But uh yeah, this is uh Hugh Jackman's breakout role for movies at least. Yeah, I remember he that. Did some TV stuff in Australia before and a lot of theater, but oh. and he has a last minute casting choice because Du Gray Scott was in Mission Impossible two and the dates changed and he couldn't make it, so they brought in Hugh Jackman to uh be Wolverine instead. Nice. And it ended up being a good thing for him. I mean, I th- he certainly sells Wolverine to me, like Obviously, with 17 years of familiarity, that's just part of it, you know, just being used to him. But, I, you know, even at the time, I just remember thinking, wow, this is a really, right. this is a really good job as Wolverine, mm-hmm. despite not being five foot four and Canadian. <laughs> Did you ever call anyone father in the movie? Uh, How, don't I don't know read, that he does in this movie. I was reading the IMDb trivia and they said that he tried to do it a lot of times. And they cut out most of them. I think he actually did it once in the movie. Okay. <laughs> he just kept wow. throwing it in as an ad lib. <laughs> nice. And they're like, nope, we're not keeping that one. 
But the but the toad struck by lightning line, that's gold. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's in the script. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it's just a character getting hit by lightning. Who wants to watch that? <laughs> Halle Berry, also in this movie. Doesn't have a whole yeah. heck of a lot to do. I mean, I guess she has some action scenes, but it was a while before I was like, did, did she have any lines? How many lines did she have? Well, more lines than Tyler Mayne as Sabretooth. Oh, well, mm-hmm. fair enough, I yeah. guess. <laughs> Probably more lines than Re- Rebecca Romaine Stamos. Yeah. Since most of her lines are spoken by other people when she's assumed their form. <laughs> <laughs> other people such as Halle Berry. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Bam Jansen. At this point, I basically only knew her from Goldeneye as a Xenia on a top. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Just thought she did a good Jean Grey. But what, uh, so one of the things I thought was good about this movie is it actually, to me, seemed like it stayed fairly true to the characterization of the X-Men in the comic books. Professor X is the leader of them. Magneto's is foil. But it's like the later Chris Claremont version where Magneto is sort of standing in as this like more militant version for mutant rights. And Professor X is the, the slightly less militant version. Uh, but yeah, so I thought that was well done. Um like I said, Wolverine was done. I actually really like Cyclops in this movie. I understand yeah. that's that's actually something of a minority opinion or perhaps has become something of a minority opinion thanks to the internet. So first of all, I think James Marsden does a really good job as Cyclops. But I also, it turns out I like Cyclops as a character because I find him very relatable. Even though he doesn't get a lot of like screen time and like analysis, right? He's clearly there to be the team leader in opposition to Wolverine as the rogue element, which is different from rogue. So the wild card, right? (laughs) Right. He's very straight laced, but he's not completely humorless at this point in 2000 Cyclops hasn't made his comic book transition to just like completely insane, just doing crazy weird things. So Mm. yeah, I thought this was really well done. I really like Cyclops in this movie. I was rooting for him. I'm not sure I'm supposed to root for him over Wolverine and the Jean Grey triangle, but I was. <laughs> mm. I mean, that doesn't really play out very much in this. Well, I guess a little bit. There is some jealousy aspect going on there, but you don't really get too much of that in the plot for this one. And speaking of the plot, I think Magneto's plot actually magic fantasy stuff aside that has to happen to make it work like the plot makes sense. Like it's clear what his motivation is, why he's doing exactly how he's going to. It's not like arbitrary villain syndrome. So is the senator that he kidnaps, is that the only person that he's ever converted into a mutant? Yes, he's uh, yeah. Senator Kenny's the, Kelly's the test subject. Oh, the so dialogue makes clear. he has no idea then that this is going to kill all of the humans or that it's going to go back. Correct. OK, he just knows that it's going to mutate them so okay. that now every, once everyone's a mutant, I think is the idea. Hmm. So mm. it's, it's all the like, world leaders at least. It's it's an interesting new twist on the uh, I'm going to leave the hero here in this uh, room with the traps and assume that he's going to die horribly and that everything will work just fine. No need to check up on it later. <laughs> so instead, it's, you know, I'm going to mutate this guy and, you know, just assume that everything's fine. Not well, bothering to really check up. Obviously, he tried to check up and Senator Kelly jellyfished his way out, right? So... Yeah, it's possible he didn't know what the mutation was going to be. He's like, oh, right, just it a allowed him to get out. Mutation. Good on you. Yeah, and then Kelly, Senator Kelly washes up on the beach, which, by the way, another historic moment. Our first Stan Lee cameo in a movie, in a Marvel movie. Oh, really? Happens on yeah. the beach scene. He's he's selling books. Yeah. Mm. yeah, they didn't even like call attention to it. So yeah, there's not even a quick out, shot. I would not have noticed. Yeah. He apparently had done a cameo on one of the uh, Incredible Hulk TV movies prior to this, and he'd done a bunch of like cartoon voiceover stuff. Mm. So this isn't his first Marvel appearance, but it's his first Marvel movie appearance. So yeah, I, I agree. I think the character motivations were there, and that just, I mean, what was it, an hour and 45 minutes or so? I thought it went, thought it went by really quick. Oh, so it yeah. exceeded your minute-per-minute minute expectations. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> it was like 45 seconds per minute is what it oh. felt like. <laughs> That's how you know it's a good movie for Charlie. <laughs> we just, I, it might have been a while since we brought this up, but yeah. 
Charlie's criteria for good movies is how fast does it feel like it's going? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and how many plot questions do I have afterward? <laughs> An average movie is uh, a minute per minute. That's the speed at which it runs. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's a bad movie, it feels like it's taking longer. <laughs> yeah, you know that syndrome where you look at the amount of time remaining and you're like, really? There's an hour and a half left. <laughs> How could that possibly be? <laughs> well, that's what you get for watching Lord of the Rings Extended Editions. Oh yeah, that is my uh that's my benchmark. <laughs> In that they feel like a minute per minute or that they don't. In that they so so I guess the benchmark isn't the right word. That is my uh gold standard. <laughs> yeah, gold standard for movie that takes a long time, I guess. Yeah, because I love them so much in the in the theater, and then I just started watching the extended editions after that, and I was like, I don't remember it being. <laughs> it feels twice as long watching it on video <laughs> as it did in the theater. So that means like the the last Transformers movie is like six hours long then. <laughs> yep. Because <laughs> you know when it's clocking in at like a real three, then he's. Just... <laughs> Once you dilate that, it's like, yeah, you got your whole afternoon. You're right. Gone. It is like time dilation, though, right? Is that if I just perceive time to be longer, just watching really bad movies <laughs> for like extended my life. <laughs> yeah, really. It's you're, you're buying yourself low quality time. Avatar is still going. Does it work if you multitask? (laughs) No, I don't think so. Uh, So you can't just like buy a Google Glass and put terrible movies on it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I'm moving in slow motion. (laughs) I mean, you mentioned the Incredible Hulk TV movies, and I was like, ah, TV stuff. If only we could be watching the X-Men TV show instead of the X-Men movie. We could get that cool X-Men TV show uh, theme song in. That one? Yes. Uh, that, was, that was another thing that felt very dated about this movie was the music. The music yeah, felt very much like product of its time. And that it sounded like every orchestral score for the past 40 years. That's how I felt about it, at least. It was like you could have interchanged this with any movie from like 1976 on. Yeah, it left no impression <laughs> in my mind at all. I couldn't even tell you what it sounded like. It would definitely feel more dated to me if it had launched into, you know, like a a prodigy style techno matrix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I got our post matrix now. Easing our way out of that. slim was still going strong so with blades influences kind of leading into the matrix this just sort of went its own way yeah Mm -hmm. well because i think like i said i was trying to argue earlier um i think brian singer is trying to make a grounded character movie that happens to have superheroes in it as opposed to things like blade or, or even the matrix which is in many ways you know a very stylized superhero movie it's just that The Matrix happens to be a superhero movie that's not based on a comic book we've read or anything like that. Mm. Did this movie do particularly well at the box office? Yes, it did. So the budget was $75 million. It made nearly $300 million at the box office in $2,000. Oh, wow. That's like four times as much. Yeah. Yeah, very, very successful. And it definitely could be the movie that really launched off superhero movies in general. Throughout the 2000s. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, it's very fair to say that this led to the renaissance of superhero movies after, you know, because there had been like the Superman movies a little bit and then the Batman movies. But then Batman and Robin kind of came and killed those off. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, uh, X-Men was the eighth highest grossing film of 2000 domestically. Only eighth. Wow. Yep. Ninth worldwide. Hmm. It was the highest grossing opening weekend for a superhero film. Passing Batman Forever was the highest grossing opening weekend for a non-sequel and a July release, Passing Men in Black. And then uh, Wikipedia says that the success of X-Men alongside Blade started a reemergence for the comic book and superhero film genre. The citation for that is a New York Times article. So, yeah, I think it's uh, 
I think it's definitely true to say that this definitely led to a an interest, a revived interest in superhero movies. And I think also part of that's probably because the effects are starting to reach the point where they can be semi-realistic. Yeah. And, and, you know, it doesn't immediately pull you out of the movie, which is a problem in the post-Star Wars world, right? Uh, so, like, prior to Star Wars, right, uh, on some regards, effect shots are designed to be effect shots, and you're supposed to look at them and go, wow, right? Whereas, but, like, once Star Wars comes along, right, and this idea of, like, an integrated effects where you're not supposed to notice an effect is happening, and that uh, casts such a long shadow over the industry that, you know, I think some of these superhero movies didn't, like, take off or, like, you know, never got off the ground because they couldn't really realistically do the effects because of Star Wars and the way they did that. Computer graphics, I think, are just getting to the point where they are more or less believable by by this point. So I think that's probably also part of the resurgence. I, yeah, I didn't really see any computer-generated effects that stood out too much to me compared to some of the other moves we'd seen. But the thing that I did notice was the jumping. Like anytime somebody oh. was ju- oh, yeah. had to jump or was launched, they just went in a strange, unusual arc that was very much. I mean, I think it was the actors actually on a harness being launched, so wire it wasn't. Work. Yeah, it was yeah. wire work, so it was just very noticeable. And I don't know if it was like, oh, well, this character's supposed to be jumping, so it, it's done in an unusual way or a strange way. It was just very noticeable every time that it happened. But I, I, that being said, that was about the only thing I noticed that really. St- stuck out to me as unusual yeah i think yeah, the like only maybe. thing i noticed this time around was the bullet that's spinning in front of on the cop's oh, yeah. face my forehead to me looked a, a tad unrealistic like the lighting wasn't quite right or something but that like that was about it like as opposed to like the bars magneto moving the bars or really anything or like senator kelly's like water dissolving thing the uh the guy with the bullet getting drilled into his face two things number one why didn't he just move out of the way and, <laughs> you know, like lean back a little bit or something, you know? And number two, he didn't end up with a burn on his forehead. This is true. Okay. Yeah. So I, I guess that's, that justifies Doug's three rating for X-Men. Not, not realistic <laughs> enough. <laughs> to be fair, Doug, I thought the exact same thing. <laughs> not the yeah, burn, you, but you the, like leaning backwards. there to be a little divot. <laughs> What are you going to say, Paul, about Mystique? Oh, just, you know, I sometimes her transitions was one of the only times I was kind of thinking about the effects. Like, it wasn't the kind of thing where, you know, it was a huge jump over, say, Blade. It was the point where it's like, yeah, top-notch CGI in 2000 was that much ahead of, well, Mid, I'm, not, I'm not sure if Blade was top-notch CGI. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, a couple other things, minor things I noted is that... Uh, I don't think I'd ever actually noticed until this viewing. I think I've seen this movie probably. It's probably my fourth, maybe fifth time I've seen it. All right. So I saw it in theater. I saw the VHS. I'm pretty sure. Did I? This week on what has Adam watched? I might have watched it when I bought the DVD. I can't remember if I watched it when I bought the DVD like right away or if I just it just kind of sat there because I bought a used copy. And then today. And there might the have been. question is, did we ever do a movie night, you and me? Right, that's exactly, that's what I'm trying to remember. Yeah. can't remember. But uh, something I had not noticed until just now, this viewing, was that uh, Senator Kelly's aide is Henry Gyrich, who is a minor character in the Marvel Universe. He's a, uh, like, a government liaison. I actually know, I think, more from the Avengers, where he's, like, really down on superheroes in general and keeps trying to, like, disband the Avengers and stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, but Is that's the... the Sentinel program guy? No, that's uh, Boulevard Trask, right? Okay. Sure, we'll get to that in one of these movies. So is, so is Guy Rich the one who's... Does he replace or get replaced by Val Cooper? Like, which one came first? I think he gets replaced by Val Cooper, but, yeah, we're we're... We're okay. digging in deep now. <laughs> uh, the other thing I noticed is that one of the associate producers on this movie, Kevin Feige. Oh, no kidding. Really? Huh. Yes. The person probably more or less in charge of the current Marvel Cinematic Universe was an so associate I, producer on this. So we can probably say pretty definitively that here's the start of uh, your current, the whole theater industry, the where the direction it's gone in the past 
you know, 10 years. Here's definitive proof that there there's the germination. Uh, I'm going to say yes, but I just need to fact check. <laughs> maybe like maybe like one of those conspiracy pin boards, you know? Oh, apparently he was an associate producer on Blade. Oh, oh, all right. I see. I know he worked. Okay. So, so, mm, so mm. I assume he's part of the reason he's on this thing is because one of the producers on this movie is Lauren Donner, who is Richard Donner's wife. Richard Donner oh. being the director of Superman, the movie. And so I want I just needed to make sure that he hadn't worked on like Superman in some capacity or something just to make sure the timing worked out. But, yeah, no, it's not. It looks like Blade X-Men. He probably knows the Donners because of this movie rather than some other way around. Mm. So, yes, uh, we can cut this and go with Doug's 10 years. <laughs> 20 years, I guess, if uh, we want to include Blade. Ooh. Yeah, that's true. One thing that I was pretty impressed by was in particularly in comparison to all the previous uh, Marvel films, there's a lot of characters in here. Like it's, I mean, it focuses on Wolverine, but to a great extent, it, it's an ensemble cast and they do a really good job of, uh, of handling that, you know, of juggling all the different characters in it. Like you never really get confused and like start thinking that two different people are the same person, uh, mystique, notwithstanding. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I thought they did a really good job with that. Yeah, I would agree that yeah. the balance is, was done pretty well. Paul, any thoughts? Were you an X-Men fan? <laughs> well, up? like, did you watch the cartoon or anything? No, I, I wasn't. I wasn't really an X-Men fan. Like, I was aware of them. But, you know, I didn't, like, read the comic books. You know, I was more of a Superman, Batman, and, like, maybe Spider-Man. But I had never had a lot of exposure to the X-Men. So actually this movie, you know, may have been kind of some of my early exposure to that. So I didn't really have a whole lot of like, I remember when I initially saw that I didn't have a lot of expectations, probably more exposure in like the Sega Genesis game than anything else. Oh yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so then after the first time you saw it, like, how did you feel? Or were you like, Oh, that's a great movie. I want to learn more about the X-Men or were you just like, Oh, whatever. Okay. It was it was probably more just like, yeah, great, great movie. I'll watch the sequel. Okay. <laughs> yeah, my experience to that point was I think just the cartoon. I think that's all I had seen. I hadn't seen a lot of episodes of it either. So it was a it was a nice surprise. I mean, I was watching it with you and Alex and John probably too, so that always helps to up the excitement level if other people are excited about it already. Yeah, I definitely remember when we went to see it, that it was sort of like, oh, there's an X-Men movie. I hope it's good. <laughs> but kind of trying to keep those expectations kind of tamped down because there hadn't really been a good superhero movie in a long time. And then just coming out of the theater and just being like, oh, that was great. Yeah. That was like actually X-Men. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, for me personally, I think um, like I'd watch some of the cartoon and then X-Men are some of the first comic books i sort of got exposed to through like my grandmother had like a a handful of older comics there were like a couple spider-mans and avenger like a Superboy. i don't know if doug remembers this oh yeah uh, i remember that but uh she didn't have any x-men but like the for whatever probably because the the uh cartoon like when bought like a couple new comic books like it was x-men comics were the ones combination of the cartoon and also the fact that they had shiny holograms on the covers <laughs> yes it was the 1994 crossover with all the all the uh the hologram covers 94 is a 93 but yeah so knowing x-men from like that stuff in the cartoon going like oh this movie's great <laughs> i'm i realize i'm an undiscriminating 17 year old boy but great <laughs> <laughs> Which, considering what the uh, the comics themselves were doing at that point, is maybe a little surprising that it turned out so well. Well, I don't know that I knew anything about what the comics were doing at the time. Pretty sure I was still stuck in, like, 1995. So then I guess Charlie. This is where Charlie says something like, yes. Yes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> How many X's would you give this movie out of 10? Ooh, I would give it, I'll say... uh I give it an eight. I would give it eight X's out of 10 X's. It was your, I completely agree. It was one of the first 
Marvel movies that actually cared about its characters. The script did a good job of like it, it just seemed a little bit more well thought out. I mean, as many people as had their hands on it. For instance, I like the scene where Wolverine wakes up in the basement of the school and sees all the costumes around and then obviously these costumes aren't necessarily going to fit him but then he reaches for a hooded sweatshirt right that's his initial rejection of the costume which i didn't notice the first time i watched the movie but now i walk came back i was like oh yeah i remember he makes a big fuss about it later when he has to put on the costume <laughs> so I don't know, there's just little touches like that in there too which uh, i really appreciated so eight out of ten what about you paul um what did what did i give blade Blade is what I measure all things against now. You gave Blade an eight. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> gave Men in Black a nine, if that helps. Oh, man. What do you give Howard the Duck? Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was pretty six. generous. Yeah, six to Howard the Duck. Oh, I swear. I, I feel like if I could go back, I'd give it a seven. They, they're all <laughs> shifting. <laughs> um, you know... I'll get I'll I'll give it eight X's. So on on par with Blade. Yeah, I mean I enjoyed them both. They're very different things. I mean this is like a a step in the you know direction of a better movie, so to speak. But uh, that's not always necessarily what I'm looking for in a superhero movie. But it's a good movie. Okay. About about the same enjoyment as Blade, I would say. So. For myself, uh, I believe we've already established that I'm giving it a three. So it's getting three X's out of 3.75 possible. <laughs> oh, no. Conversions. Uh. You're going to have to normalize that one, Charlie. <laughs> uh, Charlie, I'm the one that does this. Charlie always forgets to even link to our March scorecard. <laughs> oh. I always have to go in behind him and add it. <laughs> All right, so, so that's an eight, eight out of ten. Seven five is an that's an eight. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse to be pigeonholed. <laughs> no, I, I would agree. It it was good. Like uh, I think I felt it was a little bit more dated than the rest of you guys felt, but uh, you know, enjoyed it about on par was as Blade. So let me give it a solid, normalized eight out of ten. <laughs> I'm going to be the voice of dissent here. Ooh. And uh, I'm actually going to give it eight and a half X's out of 10. Nice. Ooh. So I actually think this movie holds up really well, even 17 years later. Uh, one thing I did notice was that the color palette seems a little bit heavily graded. Oh, hmm. like, I, I mean, this is actually, I think, uh, a, a far worse problem nowadays where just everything's graded regardless of the conditions it was actually shot in. Right. So you get weird things like gray overcast skies on what is very clearly a sunny day. Um, but I noticed that there was some of that in this of just, you know, like washed out colors in the Canadian wilderness scenes. And and it's it's it is in some ways a very monochromatic movie, right? It's lots of like dark, like blacks and dark blues and stuff combined with the that sort of silver motif that the uh, basement of the X-Mansion has. Which I guess that is actually probably a very 2000s aesthetic, the black and silver, certainly in movies, at least. Yeah, so agreed. But yeah, but I think this movie holds up really well. I think the cast is really well chosen. I'm not sure anyone's really miscast in this. Like there's no one who I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they cast this person. (laughs) Right. As opposed to something like Howard the Duck, where you're like, why is Tim Robbins in this role? (laughs) (laughs) See, that's what I think about every Tim Robbins movie that isn't Howard the Duck. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, obviously the lack of a uh, like a Blink-182 song over the credits means it loses some points. Because <laughs> <laughs> it wants to be a serious film, which means we can't have a, a closing song off for X-Men. Oh, that's <laughs> true. No, but, but seriously... Uh, I think it's really well done. I would not describe it as a perfect film. I think it's got some flaws. And so I think eight and a half X's really feels like a good score to me. Yeah, I'd have given it an, another half, but for uh, Sabretooth's eyes. <laughs> oh, the black eyes. Yeah, yeah, way too distracting. It, so far, it is, though, my second highest rated Marvel film. So second only to Men in Black. <laughs> All right. So thanks for joining us then on 
our ninth installment of our Mary Marble Movie March. And please see us again, hear us again, whatever, you know what I mean. You're, you're smart, audience. Join us again. Thank you. Thank you, audience, since you're <laughs> the one who listens to this. <laughs> since Amber's given up by this point. <laughs> uh, I've been us. listening this whole time. Okay. <laughs> yes, but you at least are the honored guest. I'm just the regular special guest. The dishonored <laughs> guest. Hey. But join us. Video game blog. <laughs> yeah. But You're join us at. for the our next installment where we handle our first sequel, the 2002 film Blade 2. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Back to Blade so quickly. All right. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's it'll have been four years since Blade 1. Okay. I'm pretty pumped. The, the main thing I remember about Blade 2 is that Danny John Jules is in it and lasts way longer than I thought he would. I thought he'd be killed in like the first 10 minutes and he makes it like most of the way through the film. <laughs> For the Gobeski Walls Report, I'm Adam Gobeski. And I'm Charlie Walls. And uh, special thanks to our special guests, <laughs> Doug Gobeski <laughs> and Paul Wilcox. Fabulous to <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay, first... First, Doug, then Paul. Thanks for having us. Fabulous to be here. (laughs) In addition to our Blade 2 coming up, we hope you join us next time for our special 100th episode spectacular. Ooh, spectacular. Huh? Huh? (laughs) That's a response. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to our show. Make sure to check out our website at gobeskywallsreport.com. Hey everybody, check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Just follow us at GW Report and like our page on Facebook, the Gobeski Wallace Report. And hey everybody, tune in to next episode where there's sure to be tons more hilarity that we know you'll enjoy. Hey everybody. So, yes, today we are actually on our eighth installment of the Mary Marvel Movie March, and we are reviewing... Uh, no? Uh, Wait, what is uh, it? Nine. Oh, it is nine, because I was looking at the episode listing, so we... Okay. <laughs> so start over, and this is the tag. There you go. All right. So today, this is... Oh. So welcome to the <laughs> ninth installment <laughs> of our... made himself conscious. <laughs> <laughs>